Gut. Welcome to the Last Push Podcast. On today's episode, we are going to take a look at some physics concepts. And the physics concepts that we're going to take a look at are from your physics paper one. And we're going to be talking about energy and energy transfer. Because that's the first thing that really comes up in your physics exams and the first part of your specification that you usually get taught. So it's important to know that the actual idea of energy itself, it's, it's relatively new. Um, the idea of energy emerged in the 19th century. And it was an idea that was used to actually explain how the work output of steam engines um, applied. And then it we kind of built off of that and scientists were able to explain um, a generalized understanding about other different types of heat engines. So originally the idea of energy and its uses came out of and was modeled off of a lot of the early transport. So with steam engines and then with later with heat engines and things like that. And it's emerged and it's also become a really, really important key tool for understanding a lot of chemical reactions and also biological systems. Because as you know, all three sciences are really interconnected. And with energy, energy is a common theme and actually a key concept that comes up within chemistry and within biology. And then when we're talking about energy, we also want to talk about the limits um, and the uses of fossil fuels and global warming, because this is something that has become a really, really critical problem within our century and within our lifetime. And as you know, global warming and climate change is something that has been on the list of scientific agendas, political agendas, documentaries. David Attenborough has done a number of documentaries on it, and lots of other people have really focus their attention on global warming and climate change and it actually is linked with fossil fuels and it's linked with energy usage and so physicists and engineers work every day to try to reduce the energy being used and that energy output and more efficient ways and that's why we've got things like energy readers and things like that in our in our houses to try to make our electronic appliances more efficient so that we are not wasting energy, which will lead to this global problem of global warming and climate change. So we're really going to focus today's episode a lot on energy, what it is, where it is in the world around us. And we're also going to talk about 
all the formulas involved in this section as well. So grab a paper, grab some pen, and let's get ready. Okay, hopefully that gave you enough time to get everything you needed or you had a quick pause and you got all the equipment that you think you would need. So the first thing we're going to talk about is energy changes in a system and the ways that energy is stored before and after in different situations. So whenever we're talking about a system in physics, we're usually talking about an object or group of objects. So a really simple one, for example, could be if we're talking about a ball that's bouncing, the ball is the system because the ball is the object. If we're talking about a group of objects, we could be talking about the energy transfer in a herd of buffalo across the Serengeti. So the system would be the group of objects. So the system in this case would be the group of buffalo, which are in the herd. And there's always changes in the way energy is stored when a system changes. Because, for example, you might be sitting down right now and you as a system, you are stationary, you're not moving, you are sat still. But if someone puts a bowl of spaghetti in front of you and you start eating it, you are actually changing the system. You as a system, you're actually using kinetic energy to eat the delicious pasta and you're also taking in chemical energy as well as you're eating that pasta. So you need to know that objects themselves and systems themselves can change depending on the situation. So for example, some of the common situations that a lot of times are used when you're talking about systems and energy that are changing if an object is projected upwards. So what I mean by that is if I have a ball and I throw it upwards, that would be an example. If a moving object hits an obstacle, so if I decide to run down a hallway and I, I keep running and I run into a wall, that would be I am the object, I was moving, I was running down a hallway, and the, I hit the obstacle, which is the wall at the end of the hallway. And an object could be accelerated by a constant force. So if all of a sudden there's an extra push on an object, then there could be some sort of acceleration. Or if you've got a an object where the air current increases and that air actually pushes and enables the object to accelerate a bit more. That's another example. If we've got a vehicle slowing down, so a bike, a train, a car, anything on wheels really, if we've got a vehicle that's slowing down. For example, if you take your foot off the accelerator 
um, and you just let the force of friction on the roads slow your car down or your bike down. That would be an example there. And the last example we could look at is bringing water to a boil. So if we've got an electric kettle, um, if that plug gets plugged into the wall, there's now going to be electricity which is flowing through those copper wires down to the elements at the bottom which are going to transfer into thermal energy. That heat and that thermal energy is able to heat up the water and cause it to um, get really really hot and turn into a boil which will cause some of the water to turn into steam and have a state change from liquid to gas even. So those are just some common examples and a lot of the times students need to be able to actually calculate the changes when systems have changed and specifically when those systems and when those examples have changed by heating. So a lot of the situations will involve thermal energy and heating. The second one is work done by any external forces. So any forces that act on an object um, will cause work to be done. And also work that is done when a current flows. So when we're talking about electricity and we've got current flowing through a system, that can cause the work being done as well. So that's just in a little overview about the energy stores and the systems. Now, the first um, example that we're going to take a look at is kinetic energy and also with a spring as well, because these formulas are really similar. So if you remember one, hopefully you will be able to remember another the other one. So when we first look at kinetic energy, kinetic energy is the energy associated with any object that is moving. Okay, so that's the big thing. Kinetic energy equals a moving object. Any object that is moving has got some sort of kinetic energy. And the formula, which you want to write, want to write down. You might want to make a flashcard after so that you can try to memorize those formulas. The formula is kinetic energy is equal to one half times the mass times the speed squared. So I'll repeat that one more time if you didn't get it. Kinetic energy is equal to a half times mass times speed squared. So if you think about this formula, and I know we don't spend enough time actually just thinking about the formulas and trying to make sense of it, but if you actually think about the mass being multiplied by the speed, if the speed of an object increases and the object gets faster, it's going to also increase the kinetic energy. Same with if the mass increases or the mass of the object is, is heavier. 
So if the mass of the object increases or if the speed increases, then the kinetic energy of that object must be higher. And you can test this out by actually putting in some fake numbers if you want to um, and actually trying it out. So if you actually give mass and speed a value of two, you can do the whole calculation out a half times two times two squared. And then alternatively, if you wanted to actually test this theory, you could then try the same formula, but instead of using numbers two for mass, so two kilograms, and two for speed, so two meters per second, change those numbers, increase those numbers to four. So four kilograms and four meters per second. So then you would have a different answer and this answer will be higher because if you increase the mass and if you increase the speed, the kinetic energy will be higher. Okay, so that is kinetic energy. Any object that is moving has got kinetic energy. Now, the second type of energy that, in my opinion, is really associated with kinetic energy, um, and it's similar because it has got a similar type of formula, is elastic potential energy. And the reason I think that elastic potential energy is associated with kinetic energy is because a lot of times something that is elastic, that energy will get converted into kinetic energy. So if I take an elastic band and I stretch it in my fingers, I am providing it, I'm giving it elastic potential energy. Then if I let that elastic go, it will fling across the room. And that just means that the elastic potential energy is actually getting converted and changed into kinetic energy. Because what's really, really important for you to remember is that energy cannot be created or destroyed. It's a very important law. It is a law that governs the entire universe. So if you have got elastic potential energy at the start and I stretch that, that elastic out, if I fling that elastic, that energy will get converted into the kinetic energy as it flies across the room. So remember, anything that is able to stretch will have elastic potential energy. The two most common examples, elastic band or a spring. And a lot of times in classrooms, we're able to show you small little metal springs. And a lot of times you will do a practical where you apply masses to those springs. So if we now take a look at the formula, the formula is elastic potential energy is equal to a half times spring constant times extension squared. So I'll say that one more time if you didn't get it. Elastic potential energy is equal to one half 
times spring constant times extension squared. Okay, and when we're talking about a spring constant, any object that has the ability to stretch will have a spring constant associated with it. Now, I need you to think of, for example, a little tiny metal aluminum spring. I can easily stretch that with my fingers. I'm strong enough to do that. But if you then think of those giant spring coils, which are in a car or the hydraulics in a train, though the metal is extremely, extremely thick, and I cannot, using all my muscles, I cannot pull that apart. So what I mean by a spring constant is different materials will have different spring constants. Because depending on the thickness of the metal, the type of material, basically some of them will be easier to stretch than others. So, so far we've gone through kinetic energy and elastic potential energy. Now, the next one that we're going to talk about is gravitational potential energy. And when I think of gravitational potential energy, I think I have to first think of it's a potential energy, so it's not going to be moving yet. Okay, that's really what that's trying to get you to think of. Anything that has the potential, it has the potential to change and to convert into a kinetic energy, but it does not, it's not moving right now. So the second thing I think of is gravity. When I think of gravity, I just have a really clear image in my mind. I think of Sir Isaac Newton sitting underneath that apple tree and the apple falling on his head and then he thinks of it he thinks of weight he thinks of gravity he thinks of that force because that's a simple picture that I can associate gravity with and that I have in my long-term memory so gravitational potential energy is any object that has the potential to move because of gravity so even more simply, it's any object that I have raised above the ground or that is raised above the ground that has the potential to be pulled downward by the gravitational field strength of our planet. Gravity can have a force on it. So if I raise a book in my hands right now, and I do this a lot actually when I'm explaining this in the classroom, if I raise a book in my hand right now, I am providing it with gravitational potential energy. And then if I flip my hand over, I drop that book, that book is losing its gravitational potential energy because it's getting converted into kinetic energy and it is falling to the floor due to the force of gravity. Hopefully that makes a little bit of sense. Now, we have to go through the formula. And the formula is gravitational potential energy is equal to mass, so the mass of the object, 
times gravitational field strength times the height of the object. So I'll say that one more time in case you didn't get it. Gravitational potential energy is equal to, to the mass times the gravitational field strength times the height. And earlier, I tried to explain really thinking about this formula. And we looked at kinetic energy and how kinetic energy was affected by the mass and the speed. Now the gravitational potential energy, the same rule applies. If I increase the mass, or if I increase the height of the object, it will have an increased gravitational potential energy. So if I raise the book, for example, if we're just gonna to stick to that example, if I raise the book only a half a meter, it will have less gravitational potential energy if compared to if I raise the book two meters in height. So the higher something is off the ground, the more gravitational potential energy it has. Also, the heavier the object, the more gravitational potential energy it has. Now, I've not talked about gravitational field strength. And the reason I've not talked about gravitational field strength is because that number is constant and it is Newton per, Newtons per kilogram. And it is constant depending on what planet you are on. So here on Earth, the gravitational field strength is 9.81. Um, a lot of times you are able to just use the number 10. You do not have to use 9.81, but that is more specific. And if you're given a question about any other planet other than Earth, they will have to give you the gravitational field strength value, the number for that. So gravitational field strengths, it really does depend on the gravitational force and the gravitational pull of the planet or the moon. So think about all those space movies, all those space shows that you've potentially watched, those clips of Armstrong landing on the moon. And in all of those clips, a lot of times the gravity is less than that on Earth. And that's why those astronauts are all kind of jump floating around because the gravitational field strength there compared to Earth would be less. And then for planets that are bigger and heavier, like Jupiter or Saturn, those type of planets would have a very, very high gravitational field strength. And it would be extremely, if you could survive on those planets um, as humans, it would be extremely, extremely hard to move, almost impossible because gravity would be so strong. So those are three of the main energies that you need to know with their formulas. Kinetic energy, elastic potential energy, and gravitational potential energy. Now, the next thing that we're going to look at is how energy changes in different systems. So those were just examples of energy. And now we need to really start taking a look at how energy can actually change. And the first thing that we take a look at 
is we really take a look at thermal energy because we talked earlier about there are changes in the system that can happen. And the first change that I mentioned was through heating. So that's the first one we're going to focus on. And if we change the thermal energy, um, it's always due to um, and in relation to the mass of an object, a specific heat capacity of that object or system, and the temperature change of that system. So if we think about the formula, and then we'll talk about it and we'll dissect it a little bit more. The formula is change in thermal energy is equal to mass times specific heat capacity times temperature change. So when we look at this, the mass of the object in a lot of these examples doesn't actually change. A lot of times you might be looking at a one kilogram aluminum block or a one kilogram copper block, but a lot of times the mass doesn't change. What will change is the change in temperature over time. So if you're heating something up and it starts off at room temperature, let's say 25 uh, degrees Celsius, let's just say for argument's sake, that is our room temperature when we're doing, when we're looking at this mass of our system, of our object. And then if that temperature rises to 100 degrees Celsius, the change in temperature is going to be 75 degrees Celsius because we always take our final temperature, which was 100, and subtract it by our initial or start temperature, which was 25 degrees Celsius. That's how we always find a change, final minus initial and minus start. So our temperature change would be 75 degrees Celsius. And then the specific heat capacity. Now this has a very, very specific definition. The definition for specific heat capacity is the amount of energy needed to raise the temperature of one kilogram of a substance by one degree Celsius. So your specific heat capacity actually is the amount of energy needed to affect one kilogram, a mass of one kilogram, and cause it to go up by one degree Celsius. So it's that thermal energy involved. Now, what I really, really suggest that you do is you actually, you can either pause this or at the end of this, what I need you to do is I need you to go onto the YouTube channel and it is the Malsbury Science YouTube channel for the required practical for specific heat capacity because this is a very, very important practical and the video in the Malsbury Science YouTube channel goes through it and explains it very, very well and in a lot of detail. So watch it a couple times, 
potentially go on BBC Bite Size as well because they've got some additional information there. So that is the change in thermal energy. And that's one of the changes that can happen in a system. Something else that could actually uh, change is the power. Okay, and when we're looking at power, we can also be talking about energy transfer and work being done. So there are two formulas for this one. And the first one is power is equal to energy transferred divided by time. So how much energy is being transferred over a certain amount of time in seconds? And the second formula is power is equal to work done divided by time. So in both of these cases, it is divided by time and it's either going to be the energy transferred in a system or the work being done in a system. And that's really what you need to think about when you are looking at power. And sometimes you'll be looking at electric motors. Sometimes you'll be looking at lifting weights um, and other things like that when you're talking about energy transfer and work being done. Now, the last thing um, that we're going to just, I really just want to go over one more time is that energy it can be transferred, some of it can be transferred, it could be stored, or it could be dissipated, um, which basically means that some of that energy could be lost to the surroundings. So thermal energy, um, sound energy, a lot of those times, those are energies that can be considered wasted energy or lost to the surrounding. But like I said earlier, it cannot be created. It cannot be destroyed. So there's no change in the actual total energy. It's just a transfer. Okay, so there are lots of transfers. And a lot of times in most of these examples, you'll have to be able to describe which energy is the wasted energy. So these will apply to different situations and you're gonna need to just actually think really, really clearly in terms of what is the useful energy and what is the non-useful or what is the wasted energy. So for example, um, one to visualize really could be a light bulb. So if you're thinking about what is the purpose, what is the function of an actual light? Well, first of all, you're going to have electric energy as an input. That electricity is going to be inputted. That electrical energy can get transferred into different types of energy. Now think about what's the purpose of a light. Okay, it's off right now. When I flip that switch on and the electrical energy starts flowing in a current, what is that energy going to get transferred into? It will get transferred into light energy, which is useful. 
but it also will get transferred into thermal energy, which in most cases is considered wasted or not useful energy because you do not use a light to heat up your dinner. It doesn't throw off enough heat, enough thermal energy. So that's an example. And when we're talking about energy transfer, we're usually talking about the efficiency and how efficient a system is or how efficient a object is. So efficiency is usually equal to the useful output energy transfer. So what's the useful energy that's been transferred divided by the total energy transfer? And a lot of times this is shown as a percentage because that's usually what they're asking you for. What's the percentage of useful energy uh, transfer? What's the percentage of useful power output? So I'll just tell you that first formula one more time. Efficiency is equal to useful output energy transfer divided by the total input energy transfer. So useful divided by total. It can also be calculated using power. So depending on what they give you in the question that you're working through, if they give you power, you can also find the efficiency. And the efficiency using power is efficiency is equal to useful power output divided by the total power output. So remember when we are talking about energy transfers, a lot of the times you are going to have a question that is linked to efficiency and how efficient the energy transfer is or how efficient the power output is. So always evaluate the situation that they give you and try to think really, really clearly, okay, what is this appliance? What is this object used for? What's the energy going to be going into it? And what is the useful energy at the end? That's how, that's, I think, what the most useful way to actually look at it before you start answering the question. Now, the last thing that we're going to talk about today is national and global energy resources. So when we are talking about energy resources, these would be things that you've started learning at a very, very young age. Um, you would have been talking about renewable and non-renewable energy resources. So our main energy resources that we have um, on Earth today, some of them are fossil fuels, which could be coal, oil, or gas. And as we know, all of those are non-renewable. And they are huge contributors to global warming and climate change. We also have nuclear fuel. So we've got nuclear power plants now instead of, well, not completely instead of, alongside fossil fuel power plants. We've also started to really 
develop and actually start using renewable resources a little bit more. Some of those renewable resources are things like using biofuel, using wind energy. So a lot of wind farms have been going up and you've got wind turbines which are able to hold a lot of energy and actually it can be very very useful again getting converted into electrical energy we also have hydroelectricity or hydroelectric energy and that is moving water and how moving water placed in certain environments with the right equipment that moving water can actually turn a turbine which will turn a generator which can actually harness electrical power and geothermal energy so the heat from underground geothermal energy is able to be used as well as tidal energy solar energy so we've got lots of solar power and solar energy farms now that we are using all around the world and water waves and tidal energy as well so we're trying to use things that we already have available to us and use them in a way that is similar to power plants um, but just less harmful to our environment and something that will not increase global warming so renewable energy resources are things that can be replenished that can be reused and the uses of the energy resources that we use actually are needed for transport they're needed for electricity of homes of hospitals of schools and also for generation and heating so generating our heat and making sure that our radiators are working properly with the help of electrical energy as well so in terms of you kind of really knowing environmental impacts it's really really important for you to go back through and for you to maybe go on bbc bite size um, Fuse Schools also got some great links with them um, in terms of the different energy resources, which ones are renewable, which ones are non-renewable. And then it is quite important to know that which ones have got an environmental impact and more of an environmental impact when it comes to global warming which most of you already know you already know that fossil fuels coal oil gas those are going to have more of an environmental impact um, in terms of global warming and climate change so that's the first part of your physics paper one and it really just focus has a huge focus on energy a huge focus on energy in terms of you knowing different types of energy like kinetic energy elastic potential energy 
gravitational potential energy and then going forward from that knowing that energy can change it's never created or destroyed but it can change and how it can change is through thermal energy and also then we can look at it can also change with the power because energy can be transferred and work can be done which can impact power which is the rate at which energy is transferred or the rate at which work is done and then the last second last thing that we talked about was efficiency and how efficient a system is and this is when we're looking at the useful output divided by the total output or the useful power divided by the total power and lastly, we ended on talking about national and global energy resources and the different types of energy with renewable and non-renewable resources. So the last thing that you need to please do is make sure that you go to the Malsbury Science YouTube channel and you check out the specific heat capacity required practical I also think that it would be really, really important for you to get those flashcards down. So you should be getting at least nine flashcards down for your formulas. And then you should also be getting some flashcards made for the main energy resources and the key facts about that. So you've got a little bit more work to do once you shut this off, but that's what you should be doing to kind of consolidate this and just go back through it one more time. So I hope you guys have a lovely rest of the day and get out there and get productive.